0: This is Listen Lakeland, the show that keeps you up to date on all things happening in and around the Lakeland area. Here's your chance to plan your family activities and learn more about what your city government and your neighbors are doing to make Lakeland a great place to live, work, and play. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us for the February edition of the Listen Lakeland radio show. A show highlighting people, places, activities, and organizations that make our community an exceptional place to call home. I am Stephanie Madden, one of your Lakeland City Commissioners, and today I am representing Lakeland Vision. This month's show will feature a profile on someone who has incredible genius on a particular topic of importance. One that affects all of us every single day. Today, our guest is the Transportation and Development Review Manager in the City of Lakeland's Community and Economic Development Department, Chuck Barnby. Thank you for being with us today, Chuck.
1: Thank, thank you very much, and hopefully I can live up to the introduction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, What got me thinking about this topic is last week, you had an opportunity to sit at a round table with Governor DeSantis and other leaders from Central Florida to discuss our transportation challenges. Could you first give us uh, a couple of takeaways from that meeting?
1: First, I'd say, you know, I mean, it was really great within two weeks of the start of the new administration actually having an audience with the governor in Polk County I think that was extremely exciting and given the setting at SunTracks it really is kind of putting the focus on how technology can play a greater role in moving people long term as opposed to just thinking about more asphalt on our you know throughout our communities and so I think there was a lot of discussion about freight movement the Central Polk Parkway and how maybe some new road corridors can help serve growth in, in Polk County, but there was also an exciting focus on technology as kind of almost being the counter to that, to more efficiently move people, given the cost of these new road corridors, the cost of adding lanes to our road system, that technology can really help play a greater role at a much more uh, lower cost and a more cost-effective way, and having SunTracks in our backyard, it, it, I think it's just a huge resource for us moving forward.
0: That is so exciting. Um, I was really glad to be able to be there and to see you in action, and you were a, a great representative for the thank city you. of Lakeland, so I thank you so much for that. Um, another thing that I wanted to just bring up is just some maybe some key terms uh, that really that you in the transportation business certainly are very familiar with, but others may not um, understand as well. And so when I think about transportation, I keep hearing suburban sprawl and how that is really what has created a car centric culture um, and also placed greater strains on our highways and roads. So could you just explain a little bit to our, our listeners about what suburban sprawl is and its effects?
1: Really, it's something that is kind of an outgrowth following the end of World War Two and the establishment of the, of the interstate highway system and different financing mechanisms to the Federal um, Housing Administration, it was very easy for folks to go out to outside of the cities to get a a larger piece of land, set up their homes, live in what we think of today as more suburban-type neighborhoods, and commute to and from the central parts of the cities around the country. And so over time, You know, you'd have more retail that would support the residential, you'd have some employment. You were generally away from mass transit lines and and, and so people drove. And as demand and populations grew, you needed to widen roads and you needed to, you know, you'd have another subdivision here, another subdivision there. And so essentially what started to happen is, is you had a lot of growth in rural areas, natural areas, areas that were previously used for agriculture. And so over time, that became a less cost-effective way to provide services to the population kind of in general. And so when you think about in kind of the local context, the example I always use is Brandon. You know, in mm-hmm. instance, you've got a, a large residential community that's separate from downtown Tampa and, and the West Shore Business District. And so you have a lot of people in the morning that flood into downtown and they flood out in the afternoon, and so you've got to provide folks with that type of infrastructure. So Brandon Boulevard is eight lanes wide, still a very congested roadway, and so it's really intended to serve the population that is having to travel long distances for commerce and and for employment. What is really kind of a Florida uh, unique example is probably 35 years ago, what the, the philosophy of the state was is that we need to provide acceptable what we call levels of service to serve that population growth. And so what developers would do is you'd look at where the roadway capacity was available for your development. Typically what we'd end up with is development moving further and further out because of the cost of widening roads closer in the town. In Florida, we were pushing development further out into the rural areas because that's where the infrastructure, it was cheaper to build. And and so the, some of the growth management laws, and we've seen the legislature kind of step in over the past 10 years and, and reverse some of that had some unintended consequences of driving, driving folks away from the city centers. And frankly, it ended up costing us more from a highway standpoint, water utilities, wastewater utilities, and electric service to serve those areas. And so I think that in the Florida context, sprawl was a, a kind of an unintended consequence of policies that were well-meaning, but it was making sure that the typical Florida resident visitor wasn't stuck in gridlock all day long.
0: Okay, so it sounds like even then it was kind of a short term. Um, you know, it was less expensive in the short run, but then as we try to densify the areas in between those points, the roads are not um, able to be extended. Exactly. And then you're having to buy back, um, you know, land from folks to try to extend those lanes and and, and to do it kind of backwards. Um, Uh, One of the things that I thought was interesting, too, when you talk about not just suburban sprawl, but even just transportation trends and the way you, um, you know, from policy uh, leaders to uh, actually the execution of the transportation system, you hear a lot now people trying to go back to more multimodal transportation. And I've heard things like um, using context within the Department of Transportation or complete streets. Could you tell us a little bit about that movement?
1: What's been exciting in the transportation business is looking at how our street system can really help improve quality of life uh, for communities around Florida. And as we have an aging population, as we have families moving back into the to the central cities and in, in you know throughout the state of Florida, we really have tried to now, and this is something that's that's really come because of the the concerns raised at the local level, that the state has really stepped in and has really helped us out in saying, let's look holistically at our transportation system and our transportation planning so we're not just about moving cars. We're now about moving people. And so, different road projects. We need to make sure we have got sidewalks. We need bike trails. We need to make sure that we have the appropriate transit accommodations as well, so that if you're don't want to drive or are not able to drive and that you can find other ways to get from point a to point b and as we all age our ability to drive in our own vehicles over time also diminishes and so we want to make sure that if you live in a home and live in a neighborhood that you really like and are comfortable in that you can stay there for as long as you want for the remainder of your life and so we want to set up transportation systems so that you can you can walk to the store you can walk to the bank, you can walk to a transit stop and feel safe and secure in doing that, and that it's not a one-size-fits-all philosophy that, uh, like on U.S. 98 North Memorial Boulevard, the state originally had looked at that as being a six-lane highway connecting downtown with the interstate. And the city said, and the transportation planning organization, which controls federal funding in, in Polk County, said, that's not consistent with any of our plans, and that's not consistent with the community vision. And so the state, embarked on a much larger area-wide study to look at various corridors in and around Central Lakeland to say, okay, what makes sense and what is consistent with the community's vision? Some places it's sidewalks, some places it's bike trails or enhanced transit service, but it's tailoring our planning to the neighborhoods that we're serving. You don't want to come in, you know, and, and, and basically use a hammer for every problem uh, on transportation. And I think ultimately, and it's going to take a while to get there, but it's going to create a safer network. It's going to create neighborhoods that are more stable over time and give us travel options that ultimately will help improve the economic viability of of our communities Um, so it's you know i think complete streets has really been a sea change in florida to how we how we look at transportation and how we can better integrate that in with our community planning
0: well and it was interesting even here locally to see that you have a state road um you know I think everyone knows the Florida Avenue, um, that even in different segments of that road, you know, contextually, you think about it differently. And that was sort of a novel thing for me to think about that now the Department of Transportation, when you're doing your planning, you're not just thinking about how to get to point A to point B, you're thinking how close are the businesses and the residents to that street in that particular segment, like in Dixieland, where we've been talking about a potential road diet. And I know that Things that are new often can create fear. Change is always sometimes, you know, daunting in our minds because we can't really see exactly how that will work out. Um, but, you know, going on the field trip to Orlando and being able to see other places and, and see best practices where they have said, um, you know, just because you want to quickly move people from the north side to the south side doesn't mean it all has to be on this one corridor. You can do some creative things even within that corridor that contextually, you um, Cause pedestrians and businesses and residences to flourish in a way that they can't if you look at that road in all of the same lens.
1: Exactly. I mean, in Dixieland is a great example of how you've got a street that cuts through between two historic neighborhoods: South Lake Morton on the east, Dixieland on the on the west. And you have a lot of small businesses that are wanting to locate in those areas because they're unique. They're they're you don't find other places outside of Lakeland that have those characters. But the road that runs right through the middle of the corridor, which is widened probably in the early 80s, you know, during a different kind of a different mindset, isn't conducive to having people actually walking to those businesses. And so you go to Born and Bred on Saturday morning and you have folks that are standing alongside the sidewalk with cones between them and the outside traveling on Florida Avenue and cars breezing by. At, the
0: cones don't make you feel very safe, no. I and, can tell from, you from experience.
1: <laughs> and, and so that's exactly, you know, the one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work on the state highway system, and Dixieland is a good example of, you know, we've got a test for a road diet that is under design now by the Department of Transportation. Um, it will likely be under construction about this time next year, and for a one-year period, the community will have a chance to take a look at how going from five lanes to three lanes impacts not only that corridor, but also the surrounding neighborhoods. And so we can get into a much greater level of detail of you know, where, where are the cars going? Where's the traffic going? Where are the impacts on, on your particular street? And what impacts, good or bad, do you see on Florida Avenue itself? And so it gives us as residents and in, in the community of Lakeland, the ability to gauge for ourselves what is the best treatment for that section of road. And going back 15, 20 years, DOT's philosophy was is that if you want to do anything different on Florida Avenue than the standard roadway prototype of just, you know, four or six lining a highway, we would need to take over the roadway. So this is another change too, is, is DOT's willing to work with us as a partner, not just kind of you know, dump the road on us and say, okay, Lakeland, you want to do something different? You all figure out how to do it. So they're our partner through the process. You know, but that's, that's a big change in recognizing that not every community that a road goes through is the same. Um, the other thing, too, is that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, when roadways were widened through neighborhoods, it generally uh, affected communities that were, uh, you know, were poor, Uh, minority communities, folks that were really kind of at a disadvantage in terms of having input in the roadway planning process, those were the folks that tended to be disproportionately affected by large road projects. And so, you know, within the past 20, 25 years, that whole process has changed as well. So now, when you see a large corridor study, like the Lake and Area Alternatives Analysis, or if you look at roadway widening projects like New Tampa Highway on the west side of town, or State Road 33 on the north side of town, we look at now the impacts to all communities to make sure we're not having a disproportionate impact on one neighborhood versus another. And then we also get into more uh, uh, detail in terms of environmental analyses and other things that also ensure that we're not creating another uh, problem uh, from the natural uh, environment in planning new or, or improvements to corridors. And so it's really been a big change that we've seen. And, and I think it's for the, for the positive.
0: Well, um- So, you know, it's really interesting to kind of throw in some, you know, current projects like potential uh, road diet on Dixieland and talk about the other things that you're planning and working on currently. Um, And I think, though, we also talk about these innovative ideas that sort of almost seem like, uh, you know, futuristic and and, and really, you know, how could that really happen and have autonomous vehicles and such And a lot of times when I'm talking to older constituents like my parents and those, they think, okay, I'm not giving up my car. Like they think that uh, multimodal and going to some of these new, um, you know, bike paths and everything, it just makes them a little nervous. Like, listen, you know, I like to drive my car and, you know, but even when I think about some of the things that they feel, that congestion is just something that folks don't want and they associate that with growth. And... A 2018 national survey by Think Magazine found that most Americans um, think that roads, bridges, public transportation are the job of government, what you're doing every day, Chuck. Um, And that transportation is so vital, I mean, we can't get to work or anywhere, um, that 73% of people said that they're willing to pay tolls, price-managed lanes, and even taxes to improve congestion. So I think one of the things that Um, when they talk about Florida is the fastest growing state in the country and then Central Florida is the fastest growing region of the state, I think it, it, it causes some people to get really upset, thinking I don't want more congestion, we don't want more traffic, what about our natural resources? And yet there are people in the transportation industry thinking about how to solve some of these problems with innovative ideas. And if we can, if the older generation, maybe they're not the early adopters, but if they can encourage the conversation to get the younger generation to adopt these new ideas, that will get folks off the road and and, and eliminate some congestion for everyone. So I wanted to bring up um, Gainesville uh, as a, a real world test bed on the University of Florida. Um, that they are experimenting with autonomous vehicles interacting with pedestrians. You know, they have 50,000 students or are on scooters and mopeds and, and pedestrians. And if they can, they've been partnering for 100 years with the Florida Department of Transportation there um, in their classes and sharing uh, data on things that they've been experimenting on. Um i was really excited that they had the first real world uh, automated shuttle and that they're doing all of these things so close to us and preparation to this extreme growth that we're going to have in central florida i wondered if you thought um, that we could have the same kind of partnership at florida poly with the new sun tracks um, that we could really be innovative here in lakeland um, with some of the same test bed innovation
1: i absolutely believe that we can actually probably out Gainesville, Gainesville in terms of what they're doing on the technology side. And it is because of Poly and what it brings to the table now, and with it being a new institution, how it could have a greater focus on transmission technology uh, and have that maybe as a main focus in consultation with the Turnpike Enterprise, who's operating the new SunTracks facility. And I'll even take it a step further and say with high-speed rail, uh, you know, from Tampa to Orlando, regardless of what Foreman ends up taking, that you could have an institution that looks at technology across different transportation modes. So it's highway-based, rail-based, transit, and really set ourselves up, not only to be on the front end of these new technologies, but also have a lot of the innovation, the jobs and industries associated with that locating right here in in Lakeland and Polk County. And a number of projects are out there right now that I think are really gonna help us kind of get to that next level, You've got the SunTrax facility that's under construction now. Um, The Department of Transportation is going to be embarking on studies for the interstate to look at managed lanes uh, between Tampa and Orlando. And those would uh, generally be toll lanes in the middle of the interstate that would have some type of congestion pricing. So that if you're traveling at 5 p.m., you would pay a higher toll rate than you would if you're traveling at 2 a.m. And the benefits of that, uh, you see that down in South Florida now, to uh, the folks that aren't paying a toll, you still see you know, sometimes a 20 or 3 percent reduction in congestion in the non-toll lanes because you've got folks that are taking advantage of that additional capacity and are willing to pay an additional fee to get from point A to point B quicker. But those technologies, how that all operates on an interstate system like I-4, where you've got a lot of residents and you've got a lot of visitors that aren't from here and may not have um, a SunPass transponder and may have other technologies that they bring from their states, really gives us the opportunity to say, okay, how can we make the system operate more efficiently using a common platform uh, common technology is recognized whether it's in Florida, whether it's Georgia, Texas, Michigan, or New York, to make us all operate operate better at a lower cost. If Right now, uh, DFT is widening, of course, I-4 through downtown Orlando, and that 20-mile section of interstate is over $2 billion. Oh,
0: and nobody wants to go over there. Nobody I mean, wants to go over there. avoid it like the plague.
1: And, and, you know, when you start talking five or six years worth of construction, there's a huge impact there, and so there's an impact to the quality of life for an extended period of time. Well, now DFT is also looking to take that same concept from Kirkman Road all the way out past to this side of US 27. Just the construction phase of that additional 20 miles is $3.4 billion. And that's just adding lanes, and they will generally be managed lanes, but you're having to reconstruct interchanges. You're having to do a lot of front-end cost. that ask yourself, are there other are there better ways to handle um that movement without spending, you know, at that point, it'll be over $5 billion to move more cars. So that's where um, high-speed rail, uh, intercity transit service, those types of things also, you're adding four lanes to the interstate, and you're putting a toll on it, and you're allowing transit vehicles to use those lanes and somebody wants to go from lakeland to downtown orlando to downtown tampa then all of a sudden it becomes more of an incentive for them to just hop on a bus you know working with the citrus connection heart or links and take advantage of that uh, type of transportation option using that technology um, and that technology could all be developed here here in lakeland but ultimately it creates a lower cost and a lower burden for the taxpayers and the folks that just want to get to work they just want to get to Disney they just want to you know go to the hospital or go to the VA hospital you know I mean those are things that we all deal with on a daily basis and ultimately adding five billion uh every say, five to 10 years, it's just not sustainable long term uh, from a taxpaying standpoint.
0: Well, and that brings up a good point, you know, from a taxpaying standpoint, um, what I am seeing is that there's been innovation with private companies, you know, even with Elon Musk and his rockets, uh, you know, really not necessarily competing with NASA, but augmenting, you know, what NASA can do with their funding. Um, do you see that Brightline can augment what we can do um, with taxpayer dollars in transportation, bringing in private companies who could build high-speed rail like Brightline? Um, I know that you know Elon Musk has the Boring Company that's you know trying to do underground uh, interstates and things like that. So, uh, do you see that maybe the door would open to more public-private partnerships when it comes to transportation?
1: I think right now there are so many private entities that are looking creatively at transportation that I mean. This is, I don't remember um, this type of opportunity in, in, in the past, and I think if, you know, the relationship that uh, the Brightline folks have with Virgin Trains in developing that, that rail system, you have a private group now that can come in and provide uh, the capital expenditure on the front end to operate a train system, say, between Tampa and Orlando and, and what will soon better construction north of West Palm Beach, it lowers the risk and the initial capital outlay by the state of Florida to provide those services and then it becomes a matter of working with the local governments to provide uh, appropriate station locations and hopefully Lakeland we can get something. Oh, I'm
0: hoping. Know. I mean I think about the railroad expansion and you think of Lakeland being able to have that stop. That was the source of our economic boom in the beginning of our city. I'm really hopeful. How how. Um, likely is it that we would have a Brightline stop in Lakeland?
1: The community really needs to push for it. Uh, obviously we're not as big as Tampa and Orlando and so I think we need to um, make sure we have a seat at the table. Show the plan of what say North Lakeland that is 98 I-4. What that could be if you had a Brightline stop and with the amount of available real estate up there and working with the private property owners and developers on here here's how we can grow to support a station location in Lakeland, to support our residents and our visitors, and ultimately create economic development opportunities like we really haven't haven't seen before, and kind of having a tie between what it means on the real estate side, what it means in terms of technology, and taking advantage again of you know maybe having a maintenance facility somewhere in Lakeland where you have high-paying jobs working on more computer-based mass transportation like Brightline and having folks that are planning the system, programming the system, and maintaining the system here locally because, I mean, we're, we are the hub of Central Florida and having those options available, but having a stop here is really key to those things really happening. And, and this is all looking five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road and getting that plan in place and implementing.
0: Well, I wonder even if that would, you know, certainly you mentioned 98 North and uh, because of the development that's already currently there, um, but as a catalyst for economic development and industry growth to have it at, say, the Florida Poly Research Park. I mean, some people think that's decades away, but something like a Brightline Stop could be the impetus for industry growth in that area.
1: Yeah. And with as much real estate available out there right now and the need to really, guide that development into high-wage, high-skill type type industries, having a stop like that I think is, is going to be key. We had those high-speed rail discussions close to 10 years ago. can't believe it's been that long. But, you know, revisiting, let's have a community discussion with Brightline and DOT about, okay, let's look at uh, the growth projections. Let's look at our economic development opportunities and where can we plan for a stop and get a stop early on in development of the Brightline system.
0: It's just amazing to me because I know that people, there have been uh, forerunners, you know, in the late 70s who had hoped for a high-speed rail um, and work has gone on for decades to try to get something like that established but it just seems like in life or uh, that it timing is everything you know it takes more than just one person or one entity or one group getting excited um, i like what dr avent says he says that when education and industry and the government all get together that's the triple helix that's when the magic yep. happens and so i really feel like with you know, we're not just planning transportation like we've always done it in 2019. We depend on vendors who are selling new technologies in a way that we didn't before. Necessarily doing things the same way. Um, so, industry uh, industries like the tech industry and you know, folks working on those um, automated cars are gonna to have to be strategic partners with the transportation planners to build the infrastructure of the future. So, um, you know, that to me is kind of an interesting dynamic that we have now that we didn't have before, that technology is exploding and changing so quickly that it's incumbent upon us to use, have a synergistic relationship between the industry producing the technology and the new innovations and the government who's doing the planning.
1: And we also need to look at even existing rail downtown Lakeland. I mean, I think we've got opportunities Opportunities for multiple types of rail to serve our community. I mean, Sunrail now presents us with, you know, with a station in Poinciana, which I heard on Thursday is the highest, has the highest ridership of the entire Sunrail system. So if we can take and in, in incrementally bring Sunrail back to the west towards Lakeland, then we have yet another focal point. And, you know, in, in, in Sunrail, working with CSX and in, in how to better manage freight and passenger rail, Using technology to do that that wasn't available, uh, you know, in the in the recent past. Gives us another another option that well, we have,
0: and I know we uh, you know probably have time for about one more question. And I just wanted to say you know I had seen I'll say we mentioned bus, and and I saw that bus ridership is on the decline nationwide, but ride sharing services have been rapidly on the rise, like Uber and Lyft, and um, particularly like they'll say, well, I'll try it to go to the airport, to and from the airport, I'll try an Uber or a Lyft. And I saw a statistic recently from that Think magazine that said one to three years ago, maybe fourteen of flyers would use a Lyft or an Uber to get to and from the airport. Whereas last year, 42% of flyers use that same service. So if we start to do this, I've even heard of companies using Ditch Your Car Campaign where they pay for Lyft credits and they work with Lyft or Uber especially if their headquarters, when I think about Pipkin Road and the new Geico and Publix and all of that rapid expansion and building on one small, you know, uh, road leading out to that, could could you see things like that where companies are um, even incorporating some novel ideas with this ride sharing or with transit too, am not discounting that, um, to get their employees to work?
1: I think that a Geico or a Publix or some other large employers could actually contract with Maybe larger either vans or SUVs so that so that you can get three or four or five employees riding in a vehicle at the same time, um, you know, to get from, say, Hillsborough County to their campus and, and not have one person, one car, which is always what, what has really kind of driven the transmission planning process. You know, you've got one person that gets in their car in the morning and... Brandon and they're coming to GEICO on Pipkin Road and so it doesn't take very long before that really starts to add up but if through Uber or Lyft, a company is able to contract to get maybe four or five people to ride together, then you start to really have a a, a very big positive impact on the uh, system. And I know that Centres Connection, they're working on partnerships right now with Uber for for some areas that may not be exactly where the routes should be running uh, to be able to pick people up and, and bring them back to transit stuff along the system. So it gives us a lot of flexibility. You're not planning a large bus to run on a set route, you know, especially as you start getting out into Southwest Lakeland and the long term northeast Lakeland at Forest Polly gives us a lot of flexibility to be able to deal with new growth in a smarter way we still need buses in the core of the city. And one of the things we'll be working on is a, is a plan for bus rapid transit between downtown and hopefully our Brightline station, wherever it ends up being yes. in central Lakeland and focusing infrastructure development for dedicated busways and other things to kind of serve as a guide to real estate development to say we're serious about moving people in this corridor, but not not having transit routes that try to cover the entire county, but have them strategically focused while we have ride-sharing opportunities that cover the more um, uh, suburban locations we have in the county.
0: And in closing, I'll just say that I personally think you lived up to my introduction, and I hope our listeners will be as excited and as intrigued as I about transportation uh, in Lakeland, Florida and beyond. Thank you very much.
1: Listen Lakeland is brought to you as a collaborative project between Lakeland Vision, the City of Lakeland, and Hall Communication. Truly a community working together
0: to provide an exceptional quality of life.